number of times I've uh, started with something funny, but this is at Dennis's expense. Uh, he, uh, he called or he texted me and um, asked me to preach when he wasn't feeling, or he asked me to be on standby, and I said that was fine. And uh, I, I said back to him in the last uh, email, I said, or text rather, that's fine, I've been thinking about preaching lately anyway, so it must be God. And then I said, sometimes God allows us to get sick so that we allow ourselves to rest. And Dennis wrote back, I wish he would have just sent me an email. (laughs) Nobody likes to be sick. But it's like that uh, verse that I read there. It's our weakness, our sickness, our limitedness, our inability to do anything apart from God that is a magnet that draws God's grace, his omnipotent power into our life. It's in our weakness that he shows himself strong. Um, It's a mystery. I don't understand it, and I don't like it many times, but it appears to be the truth. And many, many people before us have said something of the same thing, and it's certainly in the Bible, as you know. Um, The title of this uh, sermon I got from Joel Shirk yesterday. I saw him for a little bit. I'll tell you more about that. But uh, the title is called CCC Squared. And what it means is comparison-centered control versus Christ-centered control. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make the decisions for your life? The little ones, the big ones, like we're in the middle of a really big one, I'll tell you in a minute, but Who's going to make the control, I mean, the, the decision? Who's going to be in charge of that decision? Is it going to be your comparison one to another and how you feel about yourself as a result of how you think you stand up? Or is it going to be you acknowledging and seeking Christ deep within your heart for the still, small voice that is very hard to listen to in this very loud, overstimulated, attention deficit world that we live in. This, this is not easy. And what makes it really hard uh, is that only 20% of our mind is conscious. 20%. And that's generous. 80% underneath is operating on its own without us necessarily even being aware of it. Some of you may have seen uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a pyramid structure which shows basic needs on the bottom. And the highest uh, part of it, the top triangle, is called self-actualization. And what we would call that is becoming everything that Christ wants us to be. Christ has designed us to be a unique, valuable creature that does a certain mission. Like uh, uh, Rick Warren says, we are created on purpose with a purpose. And our uniqueness is the thing that creates that value for us. Well, the problem is you can't get to that top level until you've had your basic needs met. And 
basic needs are like safety. Uh, you know, I was being strangled by the umbilical cord as I was born, and my parents were told that I was going to be born dead. Uh, they called in a priest who prayed for me, and that was the story of how I was saved, and that was a significant part of my life. Now, I don't know if uh, I was deprived oxygen for long enough to uh, cause brain damage. I often think that that is true. (laughs) Uh, My college days probably didn't help that either. But, um, you know, I wonder sometimes, and it's something that is a deficiency underneath. And even if that didn't take place, I grew up, like everybody else, in a dysfunctional home. Every home is dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degree. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and fourth generation. Not one is righteous, not even one. Our best efforts are as filthy rags. Nobody escapes this. We're all wounded. We're all deprived of something. What we need is unconditional love. Unconditional acceptance. We need to have an umbrella of unconditional love around us. Now, in order for that to happen, our parents have to be perfect, which is impossible. So we're not going to get that. We get varying degrees of that. The more unconditional love you have as an umbrella that protects you, the more your basic needs for love and security and identity and, and uh, knowing who you are they're going to develop more fully. When we don't get that, they don't develop fully. Unconsciously, we get fixated at a certain level of development. I mean, you could literally, if you knew people's unconscious and their backgrounds, you could literally go around and say, well, this person is emotionally five years old. This one's ten. This one's 13. This one's 2. Because at that level of their development, a basic need was not given to them. And everyone, everyone has a loss in some area of their life that leaves them empty. Or at least very hungry. And we look for, unconsciously, we're looking for something to fulfill that. So we look out and we see and we compare ourselves to others, which is a bad idea. Matter of fact, why don't we show those, uh, that first slide at least. It's a bad idea for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the word tells us not to. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us be sure that we do not hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work it work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not not compare ourselves with each other's as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. So we're told not to do it, and we're unique. Why should we be doing that? We should be asking God what we're supposed to be doing. And Maureen, the next slide. Be sure to do what you should 
for then you will enjoy personal satisfaction, having done your work well, and you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. People have asked me uh, about my work in counseling, and they say, well, how do you feel about yourself when somebody doesn't get well? I says, I feel sad, but I'm not discouraged because my goal isn't for everybody to get well. I mean, that would leave me happy maybe 60, 55% of the time. Um, My goal is to be the best counselor that I can be at that particular time with that particular client. That's really all I have charge over. And so my satisfaction, my personal satisfaction comes from knowing that I've done that because that's all that I have control over. Uh, Neil Anderson makes a distinction between a godly goal and a godly desire. A godly goal, uh, or a godly desire rather, would be, and a lot of people have this, oh, that I would just have a nice, loving uh, Christian family that stays together and all does the work of the Lord. Well, that is a godly desire, but it's not a good idea to make that your goal, especially if you're the parent, because any one of them including yourself, can mess it up. A better goal would be, I want to be the best father. I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best wife. I want to be the best mother. I want to be the best daughter. I want to be the best son that I can be. If everyone operates out of that individual perspective with the grace of God, there's a far greater chance of us actually having a happy Christian family. If everybody's looking to control everybody else because they think that's what needs to happen in order to have a nice, happy Christian family, it's going to be marred. The third slide, Maureen. For we are bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. For when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. They're not wise. That is not wise. It's a trap. We get caught in it all the time. I, I have the fortune of listening to what really goes on in people's homes. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people come in and say, you know, nobody at church knows this, but... And not just people, but pastors and pastors' wives and pastors' kids. And, and none, none, none of these here. You know, this is from other churches. Um, but seriously, I, I mean, I've had a number of pastors from other churches come in. And I know their congregation almost worships them. And at first... I was appalled hearing what they had to confess. And so it's not a good idea to look at someone that you think has got it all together and say, oh, how do I measure up to them? You're going to come up on the short end of the stick if you do that. And we're clearly told not to do it. It's not wise. I mean, I would say that it's a sin because you're going to, Compare yourself to somebody else that you admire admire, and idealize 
in the sense that you don't really know what's going on underneath. Idealization is a defense mechanism, <clears throat> an unconscious defense mechanism to protect your ego state, and you'll usually go from idealization to devaluation once you find out who they really are and what's underneath. And all you're doing is ignoring what God is saying to you and trying to live your life vicariously outside of you. Sometimes we get too close to our kids and live through them. Not a good idea. Not good fruit. A trap. The fear of man is a snare. Uh, that's the next slide. The fear of men brings a snare, but whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. And it has got us all. If you're going to be honest, it's got us all. And if you're not consciously aware of it, let me tell you that it's got you somewhere. You may not be aware of it, but it's there. We want to see ourselves in a certain light. Because we have this wound, because we have this hole in our soul, because our love tank is ru running close to empty, we want to get feedback that helps us to feel good about ourselves. Everybody wants to feel good about ourselves. God wants us to feel good about ourselves. Jesus said, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That sounds like good life. That sounds like happiness. That sounds like being filled. Abundance. Producing good fruit. Know a tree by its fruit. God doesn't want us to be miserable, and we don't want to be miserable, and that's not an ungodly desire. But where do we go to get that hole filled up? That's the key. And the even more difficult part is where do we go unconsciously to get that filled up? I've had people, again, from other churches, but I've had people that have come to me and they have said, <clears throat> my first marriage was, you know, too quick. I mean, we got married when I was 17, and uh, it, it ended in six months. And my second marriage was 10 years, and I came home and found him or her in bed with somebody else. And now they're on their third marriage, and it's deteriorating, and they say, you know, this is the third time I'm starting to feel this way and I'm wondering if maybe there's something inside of me that I'm not aware of that's going on. I want to say, duh. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but that's an opportunity and it may be the first opportunity for that person to look at what might be underneath that is driving them that they're not aware of. 80% of our mind is unconscious. I can tell you that every time I come up here, I know I've mentioned it before, and you're still not going to be able to completely wrap your head around it because it's pretty scary. That means most of our decisions are influenced by that unconscious part. 
And again, that unconscious part is wounded. It's running low. It's maybe even empty. It's bruised. It's scarred. We have post-traumatic stress disorder on some level for something. Everybody's got a trauma in their life, whether they remember it or not. <clears throat> My son Joel, who's going to have a child, he, I was cooking one day and he was in this, the chair that he had never been able to get out of before. And this was the first time we realized that we couldn't rely on him being a normal kid. Um, <laughs> and uh, I turned to cook. And I hear this boom, 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 and he had fallen out of the chair, I mean, out of the, uh, the, the seat, the cradle seat, into, onto the table, then onto the hardwood um, seat, and then onto the hardwood floor, just like that. And we, we were telling yesterday was the 28th anniversary of us buying our home in... Um, uh, Southington. It happens to be the home that Joel and Amy are buying from us, and we're moving to Spring Lake Village. And this has happened from concept to closing in seven weeks. O only God, only God can do that. I was not even thinking that. Uh, that's the God story. But that night, 28 years ago yesterday, after we had moved all this stuff from Bloomfield to Southington, and we were tired, it was late. We were brushing our teeth in the second floor laundry chute area, you know, uh, bathroom, and he got into the laundry chute. And thank God he went down feet first. I turned and looked and called Dora. I says, call 911. And so Joel fell down the laundry chute. So <laughs> she called 911. He, it turns out, and I ran downstairs and to the basement. It, Second floor, to the basement, no laundry basket, cement floor. Um, I ran down and gratefully found him there walking towards me with a bump on his head where he had hit the opening on the first floor of the laundry chute. Um, she called 911 and I said, he's okay. And she says, no, he's, she hung up and they called him back and she told him what happened and... Uh, she, she said, he's okay. And they said, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> he was just big enough to have friction holding him from falling down and just small enough not to be stuck. My, I thought he was stuck when I first looked at him, you know. So this is, this is the kind of thing that happens. I, I, this is a rabbit trail that I got off on, so forgive me. I... Didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. But coming back to um, this, the fear of man is a snare. And the last slide I'd like to show you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Okay, we've got comparison-centered control or codependency you could call it that. <clears throat> I think the biblical definition for codependency is the fear of man as a snare. I think, you know, you hear a lot about codependency. Well, that's what I think it is biblically. So the counterpart that God gives us, and he always gives us a reasonable choice, is the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
Now, not the fear of God, you know, oh, I'm afraid of God, which is I used to be because I thought I was going to hell or purgatory, but the fear of God in the sense that why do I want to do anything that is not God's perfect will for my life? If you believe that God is God, that he created you unique, a work of art, he created you on purpose, with a purpose, and he wants you to live out that purpose, to give glory to him and to bless other people, and he wants you to be happy as well, why in the world would we want anything other than that? I mean... It's ridiculous. But the devil comes and he offers us a seemingly reasonable alternative. We choose the good because we're created in the image and likeness of God. The devil is necessary for freedom because he gives us a perceived alternative good. We're anxious, very anxious. And because we're anxious, we talk about it. I'm really anxious. I'm really anxious, you know. And somebody comes up and says, here, have this. What is it? It's whiskey. Well, I've never had any alcohol before. Well, just just try it, you know, and then uh, uh, see how you feel. So he tries it couple minutes later, wouldn't you know, I don't feel as anxious anymore. I found the answer. Until you go on and on and you use it again and again for the relief of your stress. And then you find that it isn't really what you thought it was. You go to God And God says, cast your cares on me. God says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. God says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with thanksgiving. That means you're counting on it being answered. Make prayers and petitions before me. And then when all is said and done, just think on the good things, the lovely things, the pure things. You do that, you meditate on those things, And then you're not thinking about the things that were making you anxious. That's God's way of doing it. But the devil offers us an alternative substitute that traps us and snares us. God said in the Old Testament, Behold, I put before you blessing and curse, life and death. Choose life. We all have a conscience. And if we sit still enough, long enough, and get centered in the conscience that God has given us, we will be able to discern, test and discern the spirits and hear the still small voice of the Lord telling us what to do in everything that we do. Here's here's a way of saying the secret to life. Stay focused in the present moment of reality 
and do what your conscience tells you to do. Do what you know is right in your heart. Then the next moment, stay focused in the present moment. Listen to your conscience. Do what you know is right in your heart. The next moment, the same thing. The next day, the same thing. The next week, the same thing. The next month, the next year. If we just did that, you don't even have to open. All of us have enough of the word, and I'm not telling you not to open your Bible. I'm just saying all of us have enough of the word in us for us to know what's right and wrong. And we have a conscience that God put in us to let us know what's right and wrong. I heard a preacher once that uh, went to a place, a missionary, and he, he preached this personally. I was in a different church, and he came upon this lady, and she was obviously the holiest person in the, the place. And so he, he, he assumed that she must have memorized the whole Word of God. So he was interested in what version she had memorized and studied. So he went and asked her. He says, what version of the Bible do you have and how much of it have you memorized? And then he found out she only knew one verse. Some missionary had come by 10 years before. I don't know what the verse was. I forget. But she had one verse from the Bible and she meditated on that. And lived on that principle, and that's the word never returns void. It's not quantity, it's quality. I tell people who read a book or read the Bible or whatever that is inspirational and helpful for them, I says, read until you get something that jumps out at you and says, This is this is meat, you know. And stay with it until it's void of all nutrients. Even if it takes a year or two, Joyce Meyer, because of her uh, abusive background, she said she had to spend a whole year studying, memorizing, reading, preaching, and teaching about the unconditional love of God, the Father, because her father was abusive to her in too many ways to announce for too long of a period of time. The fact that she can call God Father and know that the Father loves her Going what she going what through what she went through is an amazing miraculous story. Stay with whatever it is God is talking to you. It doesn't matter what somebody else is being taught. Stay with what God is teaching you. He relates to you individually. He's inside of every one of us. I, I can't comprehend that, but He has an individual message for each one of us. If we have the eyes to see, if we have the ears to hear, if we will sit still long enough and be quiet enough to hear his still small voice. That's why I'm, you know, moving into a, a new business of creating Christian CDs that is put off right now because of the move. But um, that's what I believe is the last thing that God wants me to do. And uh, that's kind of the last thing I want to just share with you is uh, the personal... I shared with you personally last time about some of the decisions I've made. And uh, especially in the big decisions, I got to be sure that it's God. Because there's too many things, too many variables, too many unknowns, too much chance for me to regret that I've made the wrong choice. 
I can't conceive of all of those things. So I have to know that it's God. So after I came back to Christ in 1973, on July 4th, 1973, I prayed for a wife. God told me to go to the seminary. I didn't understand why, but I went. Uh, Five years afterwards, in July of 78, God gave me Dora, who isn't here. She's sick uh, as well. Um, We will have been married for 35 years this coming July. She's the perfect person for me. Um, I'd never been able to sustain a relationship for more than three years prior to her. I never thought I could be married to anyone for more than three years. And here I've got this amazing marriage and there's complete trust and freedom. She doesn't need me. I don't need her. We love each other. We're free to be who God's called us to be. It's the healthiest relationship I've ever had. It's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. Don't listen to what I'm saying and compare yourself to me and think that, you know, you don't measure up because there's plenty of dysfunction in our home. Ask Joel. He'll tell you. (laughs) Um, But point is, I asked for a wife. God didn't give me a wife right away. He told me what to do, go to the seminary, become a priest. I was... Trusting enough, I don't know, wise enough to obey him instead of myself. Went to the seminary. Uh, He taught me to be a priest. I believe I am a priest, ordained by God, not my men. Um, And he gave me a wife, the, the answer to my prayer, the desires of my heart, okay? Then I was 12 years working in industry because I didn't have any marketable degree, the Master's of Divinity degree that I was pursuing, you know, had a lot of theological things, but nobody really was interested in that. So I went to work to put bread on the table, knowing that I wasn't supposed to be a draftsman or a designer, which is what I wound up being. Twelve years I did that, very frustrating. But I was praying all along, and uh, 12 years after that, in um, 1989, I began my private practice. And I sought out God in that decision. And thank God I did, because six months after I had a dozen clients, uh, Governor Weicker put the um, income tax in, and I lost half my clientele. And I was saying, did I make the right choice? But then I remembered, how did I test and discern this? And I remembered that I did test and discern it. And it was God that led me. And that is what helped me not to doubt. And... Now, my wife's been telling me, you got, we got to get out of this house. we got to get out of this house, you know. I'm going to be 62 in the summer, and the house is a load. we got a wood stove. We've got a pellet stove. I love that because it's nice and warm, but it's labor-intensive. have got a long backyard that's on a hill. Last year, I had to pay a lot of money to have a friend of Paul's uh, help me out with all of that. So when Joel's uh, wife, Amy, was pregnant... Um, unexpectedly pregnant, and they were had a ice dam in their uh, apartment, and water was coming in, and mold was growing. I had an idea one night with uh, a colleague of mine that never has a late. This client is never late for her, and the client I was waiting for was never late. But but this time they were late, and I said to her because she lives in Spring Lake Village, I said, I know what I'll do. I'll uh, sell my house to Joel and move into Spring Lake Village and 
that, that could work. So I told Joel, and he says, I don't know, it doesn't sound so good. But Amy, who likes the wood stove, she had some influence in that. And then they started considering it. And I says, well, you know, Joel, people have been doing this for years and years. And uh, then he thought about it. And, and so, and, and I don't need any of the power tools and all that stuff because lawnmower and leaf blower and, you know, uh, snow blower and all the other blowers. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go there. We're going to close on Wednesday. We're moving on Saturday. And you, too, could be a part of this God story. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? You, you could say, I was, I was part of his God story. No, seriously. If, if, if your conscience, if God speaks to you and says that you would like to help me, I'll accept it. If it is any other reason, or you have any kind of physical ailment, or any limitation, I really don't want you to come. Uh, that's the bottom of my heart. Because I've never gone, you know, when people ask for, I've never gone, I've, I've got a thing on my neck, I've got a thing on my elbow, I've got a thing on my shoulder, you know, just about everywhere I've got a thing. And uh, it just, that's not what God wants me to do. And I don't want you to come if God doesn't want you to come. But if God puts it on your heart next Saturday, tentatively, we're planning on moving. I mean, we have people, and it's only five minutes away from the house. We'll probably take two uh, things. That we don't, we've thrown out a lot of stuff. It won't take too long. Um, but the point is, is that you can trust God. Dora was telling me, we got to get out of this house. We've got to get out of this house. We've got to get I'd say, I know, Dora. I know. I know. But I have to wait on God. Because I knew that I couldn't make that kind of a move without knowing that it's God. And when Joel was nervous about it a little bit in the beginning, I said, Joel, if it's going to be God, it's going to be a win-win situation. And it's also going to be a win-win-win situation because uh, we're going to be able to help Paul as well. I mean, times are tough. He works hard, but, you know, it's, he's living on his own now, and it's a lot more expensive. And so... I see it as a win-win-win situation. I know that it's God. It's got God's thumbprint all over it. I have no doubt about it. That's why we're able to do it so quickly. God is trustworthy. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Not fearing him in the sense that he's going to punish you. Fear that you're not going to do the right thing. Fear that you're not going to make the right decision because you, get, you might get trapped by the enemy's deception and you're going to miss the abundant life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and abundant life at that. The last thing I'd like to do is show you a very short uh, video from uh, YouTube. And uh, it's, it's pretty interesting and it sort of drives the point home. The exact center point of the Bible is it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Are you going to be comparison-centered controlled, or are you going to be Christ-centered controlled? Are you going to live according to your unconscious, deficiency-motivated drives, or are you going to live according to what Christ tells you is the best thing in your life that you can do? Why would you want to do anything other than what God's blueprint is for you?
It's the best life that you can live. It takes a while, five years to get a wife, 12 years to get a career, the last five years plus of headaches to get out of this house, you know? I I can't promise you that this is going to be a short snap your finger and it's done thing. It hasn't been in my life. But I can promise you that God will not lead you astray. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and abundant life at that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that we're redeemed in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our silly, foolish ways. You love us nonetheless. You love each each of us with a supernatural, everlasting love. It's not that we loved you and pleased you so that to gain your affection. It's that you loved us first as we will learn in 1 John later on with Dennis. It's your love that was initiated while we were still enemies of yours, having sinned. You demonstrated your love by sacrificing your only son to die a horrible, cruel, criminal's death. He took our place. And like Dennis said, Last week, I believe it was, if everybody in the whole world, past, present, and future, all called out on the name of Jesus all at one time, the cross is enough to save every single one of us. And it's not just, you know, eternal salvation. We need the Savior every day, if we're honest. We start off like Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water and then something distracts us and scares us and we sink. But say Jesus, just say Jesus and he'll reach out his hand and pull you up. We thank you for that. Lord, bless everyone. Bless everyone's day. Help them to rest today like we need to on this day. Rejuvenate our bodies. Take care of the temple so that we can put our effort into doing what you call us to do during this week. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Ask for the prayer of the Spirit to complete this prayer and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed.